Hey, and welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's show, a couple of notes from my own planted life. Um, I received yesterday in the mail a Go Sun Stove. And if you listen to my interview with Patrick Sherwin, you'll know all about that. And it's a uh, really cool looking device. And it had a long tube and a tray you can stick in, put it out in the sun, and it's supposed to cook food. And I got to say, you know, I did the interview and I saw the videos and I totally believed in it. But when it came right down to it and I had this thing out in the sun and there was a little bit of water in the tray and I'd cut up two Yukon Gold potatoes and a quarter of an eggplant that uh, my daughter had not used in another dish she was cooking. And I put that out in the sun, closed up the tube and walked away for 20 minutes. I really didn't have a lot of faith. It was like 32 degrees out. The sun was bright, but again, it was cold. It was a bit windy. And as luck would have it, my neighbor is putting up like, it looks like a $20,000 solar installation with these giant panels um, braced up against a fence. And here I was with my teeny little cooker with a couple of potatoes and an eggplant feeling really uh, (laughs) a little bit inadequate. But I came back out 20 minutes later and again, it, it, like, it really looked like nothing was happening, except when I got closer, I saw steam coming out of the edge of the tube. And I got excited, and I pulled it open, and I tasted a potato, and it was not raw. In fact, it was cooked. In fact, it was cooked to perfection. It wasn't like mushy, you know, when you can leave it in the water for too long. It was not hard. It was perfect. The eggplant was softer, but still really delightful. And my neighbor came over and we were talking solar and I gave him a piece of potato and he tasted. He says, well, it's hot and it's cooked. So I felt a little bit uh, vindicated there, even though we haven't put up the, uh, the solar electrical panels yet. So on to today's interview with my friend Catherine Nilbrink. So Catherine's got a crazy long and varied and impressive resume. We met actually, uh, she was working at the Whole Foods in Durham, North Carolina, where we used to frequent when we lived in Durham. And we got to be friends and she came over and we'd talk about stuff. And it turns out that she and my wife knew some of the same people from Namibia, where my wife was born and grew up. That's in uh, Southwest Africa. And because Catherine had been a an evolutionary anthropologist, a fossil hunter. Um, but she'd also had a, an interest in exercise science, in nutrition and food. She spent a lot of time studying ancient mastication, which is to say, that's not a dirty word, which is to say the evidence of what we ate and how we lived from chewing, from the wear and tear on our teeth and the type of teeth that we had. Um, She's also worked as a fitness trainer. She's worked with Reebok. She's been a culinary therapist and a sustainable living consultant for, and can't picture anything much more challenging than this, a residential treatment facility for people with eating disorders. Um, She's also been an instructor at the uh, T. Colin Campbell Center, Center for Nutrition Studies, and she is a really smart, thoughtful person. So in our conversation, we talk about diet a lot. We also talk about, I ask a question um, based on, I guess, a misunderstanding that I had, which was that um, our big butts are what made us human because that freed our hands to go gather fruit and we were now bipedal. But um, she gets into a whole different explanation of big butts that is uh, really cool and fascinating. She's also talking about wild edibles, about the importance of tuning in to our own bodies to get guidance about what to eat and not just listening to experts of any kind. And the work that she's doing right now, helping people transition to a healthier diet. So without further ado. Hi, Howard. How are you? Excellent. So uh, so we we met uh, years ago in uh, in North Carolina. You're now uh, out in California, right? Yep. I'm in Santa Monica, California. And um, yeah, far cry from Durham, but um, we like it here, although we miss all of our friends in, in North Carolina, I must admit. Cool. Well, you know, we're, uh, the, the okra is uh, getting eaten, eaten up as it, as it pops out of the ground, so I'm sure you have a lot, a lot wider variety of produce out there than we do at the moment. 
Well, that's true. I mean, the farmers markets here are really amazing, and all year round, there's stuff coming in from the local farm. So we definitely have an advantage there. All right, I'll move. I'll move. So, <laughs> so uh, we're, we're we're talking. You you are one of the instructors for the T. Colin Campbell Foundation courses offered through eCornell. Why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Well. Um, I've been in the health and wellness industry probably most of my life, having been an athlete um, when I was younger for many, many years and always interested in, um, in good nutrition because of that. And I think that started on my path. I was a gymnast and so um, always really interested in being um, as as trim as possible. And I'm um, pretty robustly built um, naturally. And this was, um, you know, back in the day when um, gymnasts were tiny little things and um, I'm five, six. And so you can imagine that I was always um, a lot different than my teammates. So I think it really started for me back then and, and always trying to um, make food healthier, um, but still tasty. And um, it started on my journey. But when I ended up going to university, I actually studied, um, evolutionary biology and um, biological anthropology and um, studied the evolution of mastication in early hominids and primates and how tooth structure developed over time because of what we were eating. So my nutrition background is a little bit non-traditional because of that. And I'm, I've always been really interested in whole and processed and, you know, foods that for that reason and also the whole um, how everything is impacting us from a, a, a larger um Spectrum, can, if I guess. Um, so, so, so you have a degree in ancient chewing. <laughs> well, I guess you could kind of say that, yeah. <laughs> so, what? What? How, I mean, help me understand how. What do you study, and what do you find out from studying um, evolutionary mastication? So, teeth are extremely. Um, in most species, teeth are extremely um, specialized for um, what what the animals or species are eating. And um, if you start to look across at many, many different species and how their teeth are formed, um, you can start to see, and, and then also look at their dietary patterns, you can see what they're eating and how the teeth are, are developed so that it facilitates um, mastication and chewing in those species So and, and most utilization of food and nutrition. And, and then when you look at um, primates and, and early hominids um, or humans, um, you can start to see our teeth are much more specialized, which is a little bit unusual, actually, in the animal kingdom. We um, have a little bit of everything in our mouths, so to speak. And so, you know, we do um, grinding and we do um, 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 ripping and tearing. And, and so we do a lot of different things with our teeth, which most species do not do. And so we, uh, because we are generalist eaters as well, you know, we kind of eat whatever we can get our hands on, um, which is typically mostly plants because that's most easily available and widely available. Um, so <clears throat> that's kind of how I started off, although I was already an athlete, as I said earlier, and, and a personal trainer before I went to um, university and worked for Reebok for a while, too. Huh. So... Um, so that's kind of, you know, where my formal education around nutrition started, um, if you could really think about it that way, because I was really looking at, well, what were early species eating because of how our teeth, well, the teeth we were finding and what did that mean? And, and then what was the ecology of the area? So I was looking a lot at, at um, geology and, and ecological development. And so I always took a very holistic view in my studies, which was very unusual also in my field, um, because most um, fossil hunters, which is what I was, tend to be very specialized. And and you could say that I was kind of specialized because I was looking at chewing, but I also was looking a lot at at the biomechanics of walking and, you know, locomotion and things and, and how all of that was affected by, um, the environment we were living in. And so I did also a lot of research on, um, um, primate behavior, which is a little bit of, um, unusual because most, um, biological anthropologists do look at extant species, which is like, um, Jane Goodall, looking at a live, you know, current species in the wild, or, which is behavioral work, 
or they do the fossil um, biomechanics and um, looking at, you know, species and evolution from the, you know, the fossil record. So I actually crossed um, and I did a lot of surveying and research in both areas so that I could put a bigger, more holistic picture together. So I've always been really holistic in the way I think about our bodies and food and nutrition and everything. Hmm. So I've got to ask you, because a lot of what you're studying seems to be from the same pool of, of data that the paleo movement <laughs> gets its inspiration from. So, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not qualified to talk about, right. you know, dentation and mastication and, and, you know, hominid walking patterns and stuff like that. What, what do you see? Um, in, in our, in our evolutionary past and in, in our, in our makeup that suggests that we're, um, basically plant eaters. So to make it, you know, pretty easy for the lay person and to really understand it's, 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 first of all, the paleo people aren't actually using any of the research that's really widely available and accepted. Um, so, um, and, and they focus on one part of what we were eating and then they, um, increase that exponentially and which is unfortunate although they do have some really good points you know they really try to focus on whole unprocessed which is great and you know and add more um you know more um organic foods and things like that so that you know that that's a good take-home message overall but um if you look at at what we were eating and what were available i mean just from a logical point of view um we're not fast runners we don't have really natural inbuilt or built in um, defense or weapons in our bodies. You know, like if you think of um, um, tigers or, you know, with their claws and their teeth and their huge neck structure for strength and, and their fast running abilities. You know, if you think of natural predators or lions and things, they're um, built completely different than we are um, just for hunting. And, um, we just don't have those abilities We're you know, we're not very fast again, like I said, so, um, it's hard for us to catch something, you know, I'm out running pretty much every day and it's a rare day that I'm even remotely close enough to a rabbit or a deer to take it out by hand, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just not happening. And, um, you know, we, we, and we didn't have guns and so we couldn't do distance catching as much. And, and so, you know, this was hard work and, um, so we had to rely on our brains and, and, and cooperative hunting skills. And, and that still is a lot of hard work and it took a lot of time and effort and it didn't yield a lot of results on a regular basis. So it was not a, a food source that we could bank on or guarantee to always have. Whereas plants, they're everywhere. Um, and I can catch pretty much any plant. Yeah. Even, even the weeds in my neighbor's garden move slower than I do. <laughs> Well, and, and most weeds are actually highly nutritious. I do a lot of wild edible foraging as well. So um, I can tell you that most of the stuff that um, we really could be eating are, are weeds. So you, you might not be getting rid of your – you might want to be stealing your neighbor's weeds to tell you the truth. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, we, we did eat meat. I'm not going to argue that. We did eat meat when we could get our hands on it. But that was rare and not very often. And whenever, whenever we did – you know, we lived in groups and so we would share it with everybody because that builds goodwill and, um, community and, and, you know, cause we had to depend on each other. So, um, we weren't eating a lot of it on a regular basis. And, um, so we were relying on plants. And if you look at, um, what plants are really most highly available to us on a regular basis, they're leaves. So leafy greens, and um, we ate lots of those. Um, and you can look at other primates and see the same behavior. You know, I mean, um, gorillas especially, they're big leaf eaters. Um, that's why they have such big tummies because they sit there and eat lots and lots of leaves. But um, so do orangutans and so do um, chimps. You know, they, that's a primary staple of their diet. And we as modern humans just don't eat very many leaves anymore. And that's unfortunate because they're loaded with nutrients and you know, just jam packed with all these good things that we really need in our bodies. And, um, so, um, you know, we should be really increasing that in our diet. And then of course we would, whatever else we could forage, we would eat, um, fruits and nuts and seeds and, you know, um, grasses and, and things like that. Grasses, I mean like grains, you know, that we call grains today. Um, so, you know, pretty much anything, tubers, um, so, you know, 
we we would eat whatever we could find and and um and was available to us and and that like i said did include some animal products but for the most part we were probably eating more insects than we were like large game or anything like that Mm. Yeah, and I saw like last week in the news that insects are hot, right, for solving the uh, the, pro- the so-called protein gap. Yeah, well, and as we know, there really is no protein gap. So. <laughs> right. Well, so maybe I, I, I want to go out and kill something. Gap. Well, I can. Yeah, exactly. I could exactly. I, I could nail a couple of cicadas, but uh, yeah, those, <laughs> those rabbits are darn fast. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so I've got I've got to ask this about uh, about butts. <laughs> so I realize you know like none of the animals that you mentioned that are real hunters have like t- you know tushes butts. Oh, uh-huh. like, oh, so you mean literally rear ends? Rear yeah. ends, like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it seems like the rear end is what what enabled us to have our hands free, and our hands would be free for like you know picking things and climbing trees and gathering plant foods, as opposed to having hands free to be hunters. I, I'm trying to think of the logic here why butts are enabled well, us a, to that. That, that the butt enables us to be upright. Well, not really. It's no. just, it's a complete difference in structure, um, you know, in in hip structure and everything else. But doesn't necessarily lead to large behinds. So the be- larger behind is is um, a sexual adaptation over time. You know, it's sexual selection. Um, it, it and it, you see it actually in primates. Um, other primates, when females go into estrus, they have large swellings of their genitals and. Um, and so, you know, theory is, of course, it's all theory, but the theory is, is that, um, we basically, because we are, we can be, um, fertile 13 times a year, so to speak. So we're, we're pretty much fertile all year round. Um, humans are, which is a little bit unusual in the, um, in the animal kingdom. Most animals have, um, specific times of the year when they go into estrus to be able to do, to procreate. And that is signaled usually by some swelling of the genitals or something like that. Well, we are, um, as humans, we, we can pretty much procreate all the time. And so there's some theory that the large behind kind of became a permanent adaptation versus just during, um, you know, estrus cycles. And so, um, so, so it's, we like started- the, it's like the 24 seven sale sign. <laughs> <laughs> basically okay. in a way well it made but it also um was a little bit um adaptive for females to be able to um be kind of hide their um fertility so it was a little bit of a trick so instead of it being just that blatant to other you know to the males of the group that we were in estrich estrus like it is in like chimps or different you know other primate species they're very clear um we kind of played a little bit of a trick so that um we could maybe have promiscuous behaviors and more more of the males chimps do the same thing but um a little bit differently you know we made made it with more um, of the males to then ensure more cooperative um, support, ah, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, and, and, and people thought they were going to get like a kale salad recipe from this interview. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, of course, this is all that, you know, that particular um, is conjecture because we don't have soft, soft tissue in the fossil record. So um, as far as, you know, the large soft tissue behinds that we have, it's it's hard to really say exactly what that is, but it it's very clearly a sexual selection process. So we were, you know, um, males t- liked, um, were attracted to females with large behinds. And, you know, so those women out there, you know, if you have a larger behind, it's a good thing. It's not, you know, we don't, we're not supposed to look like little boys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the takeaway here is that Catherine really knows her stuff. <laughs> but, well, I tried anyway. Uh, I, I study. I still study today. You know, I mean, it's it's always an academic. I think once an academic, always an academic. Right, and you know, and you are you know teaching a with a holistic view of like nothing's nothing separate from anything else. So. Exactly. So um, tell us a little bit about your personal transition to a plant based diet. Kind of what what motivated you and and how did it go? 
So I, um, as you know, as you can imagine, I've been on this health journey for quite some time and, um, I have been pretty whole unprocessed for a very long time. And, um, but I was still eating animal products and, um, really thought that, you know, because of what I know that it was a, it was not harmful to my body, but, um, it was a part of my diet. And, you know, like I said, I was, I, I really focused on whole unprocessed and did eat lots and lots of plants. And so it wasn't the main part of my diet, but, um, I was still eating animal products. And so it wasn't until literally I read the China study and I read it and I stopped eating animal products right then. You know, I, I, because the science was so clear to me and, um, that, you know, it's, it's, as they say, ignorance can be bliss. Well, I was no longer ignorant, so I couldn't really live in that place of blissful ignorance. So, um, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so I made that choice and went completely, um, plant-based and, it was really interesting because right before I did that, I happened to have a checkup and my cholesterol numbers were high well, and high for me. Um, I've normally had a pretty low cholesterol, but at this point they were right around 200 and that was extremely surprising and unsettling for me. And, and, you know, a few, just right after that, I started reading the China study, read it, and then went cold turkey. And then by chance at my job, um, at that time I was working for Whole Foods Market, they started this biometric scoring, um, program. And so I went in to have my, um, blood drawn and biometric scores done. And this was about, two weeks after I went plant-based and only about a month and a half after I'd had my previous scores done at the doctor's office. And, um, when I had my cholesterol, um, when I got my cholesterol numbers back, my cholesterol numbers had plummeted from 200 to 146 in two weeks. I'm assuming it was two weeks because I didn't change my diet until just that two weeks before. So, um, to me, that was a huge, um, reinforcement that I was making the right decision. Uh-huh. And, and it sounds like your diet was what you consider to be pretty darn good beforehand. Yeah, it was pretty clean before that. So, um, but you know, as I said, I was working at Whole Foods Market and I probably, um, during that time had been eating a lot more cheese than I normally would have because of all the free samples that they had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I think that that could have been why my cholesterol numbers had gotten so high in a short period of time because otherwise my diet really hadn't changed all that much. Uh huh. So was it, uh, was it easy to, to make that total transition after reading the China study? Um, I think, um, it was easy from the point of view of, from knowledge and, and, you know, and and for me, knowledge is really empowering. And so I just, but, um, I did struggle a little bit just because I didn't have that, you know, kind of in built in recipe repertoire in my head where, you know, the easy go-tos that you do whenever you're in a, in a rush or anything. So, you know, I was used to planning and things like that because it's what I do, um, work with nutrition and people. And, and so in the beginning, I really had to be a little bit more focused on planning and, um, making, looking at recipes and, and, you know, trying a lot of new things. And until I kind of rebuilt those, um, flavor palettes and recipes, the go-to recipes in my head and, and, um, so that was a little bit of a challenge in the beginning. And, and, you know, and also, talking about it with my friends and things and they, you know, they weren't always convinced. Um, it was always nice to be at your house for that reason, because I didn't have to convince anybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so, um, and, and to this day, a lot of my friends still aren't convinced. I think they think I'm crazy and, you know, and, and, um, which I find really interesting. And, um, even though I keep trying to send them research and, you know, most of my friends are academics and I keep thinking that will help, but, you know, they just, it, people are attached to their food, as we all know. So, right. um, do, do you think there's some other body of research out there that looks plausible to them? Or is it really just a case of seeing what they want to see? I think it's, it's so ingrained in our culture, our psyche, and our traditions, you know, that you eat, you drink milk for strong and healthy bones. You eat, um, meat to build your muscles and because you need protein. I mean, 
it's such a part of every, I mean, we hear that from the beginning, you know, in school, when you're a kid, drink your milk, or even before you get to school, your mom's telling you to drink your milk for strong bones and healthy teeth. You know, I mean, it's such a ingrained, we have been so programmed with this information that for somebody all of a sudden to come and tell them otherwise, and their doctors are still telling them this stuff. That's also a big issue. Um, you know, and doctors have very little to no nutrition classes anyway, but they are also ingrained in this information and, you know, and they're telling them, make sure your kids are drinking their milk and, and all that. And, and it's just, it's, and then, you know, here I am, who's quote, not a doctor per se. Um, and I'm telling them otherwise, and they just think I'm crazy. Well, my doctor told me that. Uh So aside from the cholesterol, did you notice other things that shifted when you shifted to plant-based? Um, yeah, I think that, um, my, I didn't struggle as much with my weight anymore. Um, and my palate changed quite a bit. You know, actually I can't even smell cheese anymore to tell you the truth. And um, I find that really interesting because I really used to like it a lot. Um, and, but you know, my palate became even more clean and, um, I really enjoyed flavors more and more and I don't crave cheeses and things. So I really think that, and I feel a lot lighter. Um, you know, I used to spit a lot when I was running, maybe that's a little too much information, but you know, I felt like I was spitting a lot. I, when think, I, was I think, I think after, um, <laughs> female estrus and big butts, I don't think, I don't think we can, we can go there <laughs> for too much information anymore. Yeah. I'm not shy. So, um, um, yeah, I, you know, I used to spit a lot when I was running and I noticed that I don't do that anymore. Um, and I think that was just from all the, you know, kind of congestion and stuff from dairy products and, and, you know, and I, I don't wake up tired. Um, although I've always been a pretty morning person, so waking up tired wasn't always an issue, but I just feel a lot lighter. And, you know, here's an interesting thing though. I do, um, I'm actually starting to hit menopause. And so this might be information for our menopausal women. Um, my symptoms are zil to none. Um, I, uh, compared to my sibling, my sisters, I have three sisters and my mom as well. You know, they have extreme hot flashes and symptoms. And, you know, I'm, I'm barely, I'm basically just not cycling, you know, and it's just all of a sudden I kind of realize it's been a few months. I'm like, Oh, I have recently noticed slight hot flashes, but they're very mild and it's, it's barely noticeable. All of a sudden I might notice that I feel like I'm maybe want to take my sweater off for a minute or something. But other than that, compared to others and, you know, what I think would be genetically, you know, what I would be expecting given my sisters and my mom, um, you know, it's very, um, a non, it's almost a non-event as you, I guess if I could say that, but, um, so, you know, I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, not in ta- taking in all this dairy and, and hormones just that come naturally with dairy products as well as, um, animal products, whether they're quote free range grass fed or not. Um, because, so I'm not, my, um, estrogen levels weren't at a higher state. Um, and so they're much more even, and so they're not plummeting like they would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. So, so that's just great. You know, I, I feel really good. I didn't, you know, since I already had a pretty clean diet, I don't think I feel the drastic changes that some people do. I mean, a lot of people, they, you know, I don't think they realize they feel as bad as they do until they, you know, really switch. But they're making really drastic changes um, compared to what I did. So, um, you know, I haven't had a, like amazing transformation or anything as, as many people have. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's nice, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about your work with the uh, T. Colin Campbell Foundation as, <laughs> as an instructor. And it's always nice, you know, when, when the person who's teaching you about health and nutrition is actually healthy. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't tell you how many, you know, doctors we've seen. And I remember I took uh, my daughter to, she was having, I, don't, I forget what it was, earaches or something, um, Years ago, she was maybe six or seven or eight, and I took her to some mm-hmm. doctor who was like holistic, and I think he had done um, some of like the Rudolf Steiner work. And we went in to see him, and he was just sort of grossly overweight, sweating. Oh. And we walked out, and, and I had some prescriptions for her, and she's like, I don't trust that guy. He doesn't look good. <laughs> 
smart girl, but we all know that she's really smart. So. <laughs> yeah, she's been schooling me for years. Yeah, so, exactly, all of us, I think. <laughs> so um, you know, you so you you walk the talk. So t- tell us a little bit about your work with the foundation. Well, I've, I've been an instructor now just a year. Um, I joined the team last summer. And, um, you know, to me, it's just been a real pleasure and a privilege to be able to work with this material intimately on a daily basis and, and also, you know, um, work with the students coming through. You know, we have students from all levels and walks of life and from all over the world. And, and it's so exciting for me to, you know, to get to interact with them and to meet them. And, and, you know, we have students who are just here for their own pleasure and, and knowledge and, um, and, you know, they want to share this information with their family and they just want to get it. And and then we have um, clinicians coming in, doctors and physicians and things like that, and which is extremely exciting to me because they realize the, the power and um, the impact that this can really make for their patients. So um, so it's been, you know, for me, it's been a real joy. And I and we work with such an amazing group of um, instructors together. We really are a very collaborative team. And, you know, so I'm learning from them all the time. We learn from each other. And when students come up with questions that maybe we're not quite sure of or whatever, you know, we pull the group and we all come up with answers that um, from the material and the research and, and things like that. So it's a really, really great um, team. And, you know, they're just really authentic and real. And we're, we're so committed to the integrity of the work um, that, you know, it's not about me or them or, or each of us as individuals, it's really about the work and that and how we can um, best present it. And, you know, because we're, we're, we're kind of the voice of Colin or Dr. Campbell. So um, we're very mindful of that and to make sure that we are um, representing his work and him as um, with as much integrity and authenticity as we can. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Um, so who, who um, would you think should find out more about the uh, the foundation's courses? Is it just for for doctors and dietitians and nurses, or are there lay people taking it as well? No, we have everybody. As I said, you know, we have um, people from all over the world um, who you know, old, young, all, and everything in between. Um, I recently had a student who was in her seventies and was not at all computer literate and she was committed to learning this material. So she learned how to, you know, do an online course and get on the computer. And, you know, and then we have, um, and she just really wanted to know this so she could pass it on to her family and friends. Um, um, I've had people who are, um, you know, not college grads or anything like that and everything in between. And then up to, um, um, like I said, physicians and um, health practitioners. I've also had high school students who are doing this as part of a home study program or, um, you know, or just their own personal knowledge. So it's pretty amazing the the students that we get through the class. It is really accessible to all levels, even though we have physicians and, you know, people who have a lot more knowledge, quote, on the science end, um, we really make it accessible to everyone and the learning um, available to all levels. And, you know, and so everybody gets something out of it. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I think part, partly that's possible due to Dr. Campbell's philosophy of holism. Yes. That it's, you know, you don't have to get into the uh, you know, the microbiology or the genetics, um, because these, you know, in, in one sense, it's, it's too complicated for us ever to understand in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the, you know, the, the, the broad picture contains more truth than the view from the, you know, electron microscope. Exactly. And, you know, and that's one of the things I always try to bring back to the students when, you know, they keep asking me about the minutia of nutrients and what about this and what about that? And I'm like, you know, this is not rocket science. Whole, eat your whole unprocessed plants and um, you're good. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> right. If this if if this was that hard, we wouldn't have made it this far as a species, right? Well, that's what I keep telling them, you know, because that's my background, and so I'm, you know, because I get people who ask about food combining, and you know, and do we need to combine proteins, and do we need to? What if we combine fruits and vegetables? And and I said, listen, have you ever seen a, um, an an you know like a chimp who's been out um, and you know eat eaten a bunch of leaves and everything and suddenly comes upon a mango tree or some fruit tree and say, oh, darn, I just ate leaves. Guess I'm going to pass those up. You know, I mean, you know, and, and I think whenever I say things like that to the students, it kind of puts it in perspective. I said, if our digestive tract was that delicate, we would not be here today. <laughs> right. Or or the chimp, you know, would pass, right, by, by focusing on the wisdom of their own body at that moment. Right. Which, exactly. we, which, which, if, you know, we, we may have drowned it out, but we haven't lost it. Exactly. You know, and that, and that's very true. I mean, you know, if, if, um, if they don't need those nutrients or, or, you know, and that's one thing to think about, you know, they're eating a lot of leaves. Some of them may be high in oxalic acid and stuff. And we all know that if we overeat on some of those, it can be toxic. And, and, um, you know, and, and so they listen to the wisdom of their body. If they, um, it will tell them if they eat need to eat or that or not. And, and, you know, and I think that, um, I have a classic example of this. When I first started making green smoothies years ago, I, um, kind of did the classic mistake and use spinach every day, hmm. every day, you know, and, you know, because it blends well into them and, you know, and it's a high leaf, it's a good leafy green. It's easy to get and everything. And so I think I did that for about six months and then one day I made a smoothie and I was about to drink it and I took one look at it and my whole body just rebelled and said, there's no way you're drinking that. And I literally, the thought of it made me feel a little bit nauseous. And, and I, you know, I, obviously this is anecdotal and I don't have any evidence for this, but I can imagine that it had something to do with the fact that I was probably getting a little too, um, too high a level of oxalic acid. And because one symptom is nausea and stuff. And, my body just kind of said, no, you need to um, step back. And I didn't have spinach then probably for almost a year after that as, and, you know, so I think when we really retune into our bodies, it will um, kind of tell us what we need and what we can eat and when we can eat it. Awesome. So, so out there in, uh, in Santa Monica, do you have a practice that, uh, that people should know about helping people to, uh, to, to eat better? Yes, I do. Actually, I work with people um, on an individual and group basis, as well as um, companies and organizations on um, transforming their lives to plant-based nutrition. And um, how can people so find? How can people find you? Um, my business is called Lifetrek um, dot com. You can find me at Lifetrek dot com with two Ks: L I F E T R E K K dot com. And part of that's because I also work a lot with. Um, the whole body and mind, um, around nutrition. It's, I think everything's nutrition. And so it's the life journey and, and I do wild edible foraging. So it all kind of comes into play because I really like to get people back out there and to see where real, our real food comes from. So mm, it's probably cheaper than whole foods too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think people are really shocked though to see that there's so much free food, um, abundantly ab- available to us if they would just, you know, open our eyes and it's so much more nutritious because root systems are deeper and things like that. So, yeah. Right. Every, every, every couple of days I get sent out into the backyard to harvest the nettles. Oh yeah. Yum. Nettle soup. So nice. Yum. Yeah. I, I, I come in, you know, my, every, every pore of my body is screaming in pain. I'm sure. But, uh, but it tastes good later. But it tastes good. It sure tastes good. And, and there are and there are foods, you know, chickweed has never attacked me. So. No, no, no. Miner's lettuce, no, you know. Those are good ones too, but chickweed, yeah. <laughs> but those nettles, they're the best and they're so hard to harvest without gloves. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else you want to you want to share with folks? Um, I, you know, I just think that if you're interested in learning more, you definitely should take the um, courses because we teach a lot about, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the integrity of the science is there, but we actually teach you how to understand 
how to read the science. So we give you a tool on how to, um, you know, evaluate um, future nutrition claims and and as well use it on, um, you know, the China project and other research coming out of here. We want because if more research comes out that tells us differently, we're going to let you know. Um, but because, you know, it's about this is what we are finding. This is the science that's pointing here. It's not, you know, we're not in it for the money or to, um, you know, make a, a name for ourselves or Dr. Um, Campbell wasn't also, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't interested in fame and fortune or anything. He was really interested about making sure people understood that this is the science and it's available and it's, and it's so easy. It's so accessible to everybody. So, um, you know, we give you the tools on how to then evaluate, um, stuff you're hearing in the news and media and reading in, in even scientific papers, you know, so, um, you know, if you're really interested in, in stopping the madness around food <laughs> and and nutrition claims and everything, I highly recommend it. So, Catherine, we're talking again after quite a bit of time has passed because you've got something exciting coming up um, that can help people, especially around uh, the holiday times when people tend to uh, indulge maybe a bit and, and get off track for their health goals. What, what you got cooking? So um, next Monday on December 1st, I'm actually hosting a live webinar event where, um, and it's free, um, and I'm going to be talking about the three components of an effective and safe detox program. So, you know, what you um, really need to um, to do if you were to embark on detoxing, and, and detoxing is so, you know, people hear about it all the time, and there's so many different ways to do it or, you know, options out there, you know, like the master cleanse where you're just eating tons of sugar and lemon and water. Um, and, um, or, you know, there's so many different things or you can buy some, um, packet at, um, you know, a natural food store that has like this cleanse in it or whatever. And, and, um, a lot of those things really aren't all that safe. And so, um, and they're just, um, really not all that helpful. So, um, what I, um, want to talk about is how you can do, um, some of these things and what to look for in a really safe and effective detox program and have it be effective. And, um, so it's more of a real good self-care program, um, and, um, it gives you, starts to give you the results that you're looking for versus some hyped up, um, crazy diet program. Great. So, I mean, I've seen, you know, people talk about the word detox a lot. And very often, I get a little bit scared, like it looks like something like people have had, you know, sort of years of acknowledged bad habits, and they kind of want to blast it out like with a with a cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is, should people be worried about that? If something's so like they're, they're going to take something in or go through some procedure, and it's just going to sort of clean them out? Is there any any? Uh, value in those approaches or, or is, are you suggesting something maybe a little different? Um, you know, those kind of approaches really aren't all that effective. Usually it's some kind of crash, um, caloric restrictive plan. Um, and you're not really detoxing so much as you're, um, restricting your calories. And a lot of times you're not re you're not nourishing your body the way it needs to be nourished so that it can start to release the toxins that are in it. And, um, you know, I mean, yes, it does. Some, some of them do give you some kind of a, um, a, a, your, 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 um, intestinal process and, you know, and some of your organs of rest to some extent from, you know, the onslaught of daily, um, you know, junk food and all these other things. But, um, as far as a long-term, benefit, you're really not going to get that because it's not teaching you any new habits. It's not giving you information on what you, um, you know, should be doing long term to sustain the continued detoxing of your body. And so what I, you know, the things I talk about and and the programs I offer are much more, um, it's a slow and natural process. But, you know, um, if you, it's, if you've been eating, you know, kind of a, high um, fat, high um, sugary, salty um, diet, you know, with um, lots of junk food or or not even, um, a a weekend detox can really um, make a radical difference and it can help you, um, you know, jumpstart your life into more of a natural um, and healthy lifestyle or plant-based lifestyle where, um, a lot of times, you know, it's hard to stop the cycle of, of um, addictions and, 
you know, the desire for these, these highly um, addictive foods. So, um, so, you know, I really help people with, um, and I, I'm going to be talking a lot about um, what that is and what that looks like and, and how they can do that really effectively and what to look for if they're, they are embarking on a detox program themselves. Mm. I, I certainly can relate to that, you know, that, that maybe the detox programs aren't physically radical, but very often they're kind of psychologically radical. Like I'll, I'll mm-hmm. find myself in some sort of pattern. Like, you know, like I'm eating three bowls of this cereal from Trader Joe's that I know isn't healthy, but it's the first ingredient is oats. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'll have it with almond milk. And <laughs> then like, I, like at night, I'm lying in bed saying, I'm not going to do that again. And the next day, of course, mm-hmm. I do until, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and what, what causes me to, to shift is not like this nighttime um, unrealistic thought. Well, I'm, you know, I just won't do that anymore. It really takes a, a big action, a, 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 some sort of mental detox to say this is mm-hmm. not acceptable. In fact, I'm going to fast all day tomorrow. I'm just going to have water or I'm going to do a juice fast or, or something mm-hmm. that just feels like a break as opposed to mm-hmm. um, a very gentle off-ramp. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and this is kind of what I do, but it's, um, it's a little more gentle in a way to your body on some levels. And, um, and it allow, and I'll be talking a lot about how that works and, but it will give you kind of a three day, um, like one of my programs is a three day program. Um, it will give you three days of, of not having to worry about what you're, um, you know, creating your own, um, a menu plan. I have full menu plans and things like that so that you can create that break and you give, it's like three days you set aside to refresh and reset, you know, push the reset button. And, and then after that, you know, that kind of motivates you then to continue on with the more healthier choices and things. It's usually getting, like you said, it's the first, you know, taking that first step and getting through that first break um, to, um, re regroup so that you're not continually doing the same patterns over and over and how, and what's happening in the body that's creating you, um, that's, that's stopping you from, you know, following through with those goals that you make every night. <laughs> gotcha. So, so someone's listening to this and they're like, well, that all sounds very interesting, but I'm not interested in a three day program. I don't have money to spend on this. I don't have time to deal with it. It's not that big an issue. But I'm curious, mm-hmm. what, what would somebody get out of just coming to the webinar, even if they have no intention of becoming a, uh, a student or client of yours? Oh, well, I mean, the, the value is, is that you're going to learn about what to be looking for and how, you know, what you should ha- include in your own detox if you were to ever try to create that on your own. So um, you're going to get a lot of information about, you know, what is detox? what's actually happening and, and then, you know, um, specific things that need to, um, happen in order you to have a successful detox, which will then carry on for you, um, to creating a more healthier lifestyle. So there's definite value, um, in the program, whether or not you decide to move forward. Um, you know, there, that's, that's not the goal. The goal to me is, is, um, the goal for me really is to start educating people about, um, safe and effective detox programs because there's so many things out there that are unsafe that people are doing to themselves and and I just don't want people to get caught in those traps. Excellent. So um, I'm including a link to the, to sign up for the webinar and also to sign up for your mailing list. And if someone's listening to this and they want to go to um, my website, plantyourself.com, they can just do a search for your last name, N-I-L-B-R-I-N-K, Nilbrink, and they'll find that post, but if they're listening online and they just want to jot down your website, how do they get straight to you? Well, my website is um, www.lifetrek with two K's.com, lifetrek.com, um, L-I-F-E-T-R-E-K-K.com. And, um, you know, you can always, if you're not finding what you're looking for, whatever, you can always email me from the contact there. Um, or, you know, get into contact with me that way. And, um, you know, I'm happy to send out. The best thing is to, to be um, join the newsletter so that you're always getting updated information, which I always include recipes and all kinds of goodies in there uh, about all the things that I'm offering. So, um, 
but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a free webinar. I do these periodically and, um, I hope that, you know, it's really helpful for people so that they can really start to, um, take back control of their body and, and really start to treat it with much more, um, gratitude and, and kindness. So. Awesome. So Catherine Ilbrick, thanks again. And I, I wish, uh, every, everyone who's struggling with, with kind of detoxing with, with getting back on a more natural, healthful, pain-free, light, happy path that they find you, uh, or, or find their own way to, um, to achieve those goals. But a, a quick, um, sort of shoots and ladders shortcut is to attend um, your webinar. You've done this for a long time. You've worked with a lot of people. You've thought about this and you've tried many things. I'm sure mm-hmm. some have worked, some have not. And so the, um, the benefit of your experience and your wisdom and your training will, I think, help people avoid a lot of pitfalls and if, if they're really interested in taking this journey. Thank you. I appreciate it. And one last thing that if you can't attend the webinar live on Monday, it will be recorded. So if you even register for it, you will get a link for the recording after the um, webinar goes live that you can listen to later at your own leisure. Ooh, aren't aren't you brave? I always used to record them and I was afraid to tell people because then I thought they would none of them, nobody would show up. So good, <laughs> good on you for, uh, for putting truth above above marketing. Yeah, I mean, it's I, it's such a benefit for a lot of people because they can, if they were on the webinar, they can go back and listen to it again. And um, if they weren't, um, you know, then they can listen to it at a later time. And so it really just reaches those people that, you know, I mean, my what's convenient for me to do it isn't always convenient for everybody else. And since I have clients from all over the world, you know, I'm not going to be able to reach at a convenient time for everybody. Right. All right. Well, Catherine, it's been great chatting with you again. And may you go from strength to strength. Thank you. I appreciate it, Howard. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. I've got a couple of really interesting interviews coming up in the next week or so. Uh, Two people who take spirituality really seriously and relate it to food really directly and come at it from completely different perspectives. One of them is Alan Muscat, who is a wild forager and mycologist from Asheville, North Carolina. And the other is Julie Pyatt, who is possibly better known in the plant-based community at this point as the wife um, of Rich Roll and really the inspiration for his transformation from junk food addicted couch potato to one of the fittest human beings on the planet. So both of them talk about their connection between food and spirit and how they live it in their own lives. So stay tuned for those. If you have any questions you'd like me to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode of the podcast, you can go to plantyourself.com ask. Otherwise, keep digging it. And be well, my friends.